Well, hello again, Pastor Gus Brown from Akron Lions Fellowship. On this resurrected day of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a day which we celebrate his resurrection and him securing salvation for us, a work that only he and he alone could have performed, but yet a very lonely road to travel. I want to take time today if I can and look at this picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ traveling this road alone. A lot of us know that we always would like to have someone there cheering for us. We like to have someone who we sense or feel in the room is on our side, uh, somebody who might be pulling for us. Uh, we just don't want to be alone. And yet, in purchasing our salvation, Jesus Christ finds himself very much alone. And the question could be asked, well, where are the disciples? Where are those who would normally be there with him? Where are those who we would sometimes ask the question, um, where is he? Where are they? What are they doing? People can get busy sometime when you need them the most. But they're busy doing other things other than what? Helping us or helping the ones that needs them. But this work that Jesus was performing was one that he would have to do alone. So let's pray and we'll get into the message. And I pray that God would bless it to your ears and that you would hear something said in the scriptures that will excite you and move you a step closer in your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, O God, for such a great privilege that you grant unto us to be witnesses today of your powerful work in our lives and in the lives of many others. May you, O God, continue to glorify yourself and lift up our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that many might come to a saving knowledge of him even upon this resurrection day that people might recognize that he is alive and that he's living. He sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for each and every one of us who named the name of Christ. Lord, would you bless, would you encourage our hearts, would you allow us to see a picture of our Savior that we may not have seen before, but yet, O oh God, treasure it and desire to even do more for him, which is truly our reasonable service. So, Lord, bless at this time, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Living out God's will is basically the title here. But living out God's will can be a very lonely road at times. When you are doing God's will, sometimes there's not a crowd that's with you. There's not many people who will stand with you when you're truly carrying out God's will. But sometimes God doesn't call the crowd. He calls the one individual or have chosen the one individual to carry out his will. And that sometimes can be a very lonely road because the others will not truly understand why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you taking this path? Why are you choosing this ministry? Why are you putting your hands to that plow? And there can be many questions by others. But you and I who know that God has called us to a task, 
cannot worry about the questions of the others, but be concerned about doing one thing, and that is the will of our Father. And when we choose to do the will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it can be a very lonely road, and sometimes a difficult road. Let me ask you this question. Do we use God to accomplish our will or are we allowing ourselves to be used of God to accomplish his will? Whose will is really being accomplished? Your will? God's will. Well, somebody might say, well, it's my will to do the will of God, therefore I am accomplishing the will of God. I want to just share with you this. Whenever you choose to do God's will, there's going to be something that you and I may have to suffer, may have to go through. And sometimes it's a lonely road. But we have chosen to do God's will. And we praise God for that. Sometimes we have to commit ourselves anew to God. And we're going to see that Jesus had to do that also. But I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And what we want to look at in verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Because we want to commit ourselves to the one who is going to guide us through and and teach us and hopefully give us the strength to perform the task that he has set before us. So in 4.19, he simply says, So then, those who suffer accordingly to God's will, suffer according to who? God's will. God knows everything that's going to happen to us when we decide to carry out his will. And whatever suffering we may have to go through, we have to understand it's according to God's will. But he'll give us the strength to go through it. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves. Do what? Commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There is a time in life that you have to commit yourself to God and you will learn to recommit yourself and recommit yourself and recommit yourself because you are doing God's will. And that in doing God's will, you recognize he's the one that's going to have to keep you and give you the strength to perform and to stay steadfast doing what he has asked you to do. He didn't ask you to do it based on the understanding of other people. He asked you to do it because he has asked you to do it and to walk with him by faith. The road is lonely if you have to have other people with you. But knowing God will never leave you nor forsake you. You're never alone. It's just that even with Jesus, we know the Father was with him, but didn't see his presence in a sense. We know God is with us, but we don't see his presence. We don't see him standing right next to us. We don't see him just walking in front of us. But he's there. He's there. And that's where we commit ourselves again to their faithful creator, to their faithful God. And we continue to do his will, to do that, which is good. Good for myself but also good for others. And that becomes the 
crucial point that oftentimes what you're doing, what God has asked you to do, he's asked you to do not so much that it would be a blessing or a benefit to you, but that it's going to be a blessing and a benefit to others who he desires to touch in so many different ways. Jesus committed himself to doing his Father's will. He committed himself to doing that. And we need to learn that when we commit ourselves to do the Father's will, as it said in the text, the suffering that God has appointed and sometimes we don't want to do or go through the suffering. But it's there. It's there. So in John chapter 4 and in, in verse 34, he simply says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Two things. Do his will. Finish the task or the work that he has assigned me. Is that your desire? To do God's will, no matter what, and finish the task that he has given to you, the work that he has appointed you to do. Because, see, all of us have a work to do. Some may be more significant than others, but we all have a job to perform for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all have a work to perform that is going to affect the lives of other people. And the question is, is that my food? Is that what I really desire? Is that what I live for? Is that what sustains me? Because he uses the analogy, my food, my food. He, and, and we all know it takes food to sustain life. But he also may be suggesting to us, doing the will of God and the work that he has you do sustains your life. It's a way of keeping your life. Oftentimes we have Christians we hear Christians saying, uh, when my work is done down here, the Lord will call me home. But as long as he got something for me to do, he sustains my life. He gives me life. He gives me strength. And Jesus says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will. Do you desire to do the will of God or are you just chasing after your own will? And he says to do the will of my Father, who sent me, and to finish his work, to finish the task that he's given you. What is the task do you think God has given you? What's the work that God has given you? And are you doing it, or are you more about complaining about what you do rather than doing it? Sometimes we complain more than we stop the complaining. We could just go ahead and do the work and find out that is very joyful to do. And sometimes we make the work very difficult based on our complaints because we don't really get an opportunity while we're complaining to see God's hand at work. But when we perform, when we do, it's surprising what God does alone. Uh, he comes alongside of us and he performs the task or the work through us. But Jesus says, that's my desire. Just turn over a page or two to uh, John chapter 8. And again, let, let's hear what the Lord says in verse 29. He simply says this, the one who sent me is with me. We're alone, but we're never alone. And oftentimes when we are doing something from the Lord, uh, we want a lot of other hands. We want a lot of other people helping us. Sometimes other people can get in your way also and slow you down from doing what God has called you to do. 
but it's good to have other people and and from a way in which men think we think the more hands we have the better off we're going to be and more we can do but in working out your salvation and securing your salvation God only needed one person to follow his will to do his will and complete the task and that person was Jesus. And again, Jesus says, the one who sent me is with me. When God assigns us to a task, he's there with us. He's working with us. And he says, he has not left me alone. Now, as we travel through this, we're going to ask the question, where are the disciples? Where are the disciples? Where are the disciples? Where are the friends? Where are the others that would be dear to him? Yes, there's other people around, but they're not the friends. They're not the disciples. They're not the ones who could really encourage and build him up and encourage him to keep moving on. But God is there. And when you labor for the Lord, when you work for the Lord, that's the important one that needs to be there. He is the main ingredient. He is the main person that needs to be there with you. And you know and you sense his presence. And he says, I'll never leave you alone. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. When you please the Lord, he'll never leave you. He'll always be there. And he says, I always please him. Is that one of your goals in life, to please God, to please him? This morning we were reading the Psalms for our devotions, Psalms 89, and uh, reading that. And at the end of it, I was praying, Lord, help me throughout the day to glorify you and to please you. And uh, then me and my wife took off, and uh, I found myself uh, with a thought that wasn't very pleasing to the Lord. And, and then I said, uh, Lord, forgive me. That is not glorifying you. That is not pleasing to you. And you find yourself designed to please him. It's so easy to want to please the flesh or please self. But you want to come to that place where you really just want to please him. Because you know he has given you the task. He's given you the work. And you want to throw yourself into it. And here's Jesus performing the work. And the work is going to be a work or a task that he has to perform all by himself. So in Matthew, and that's the book we're basically going to be walking through in some of the texts starting from uh, chapter 26. Uh, we find that Jesus recommits himself. Remember what Peter says, commit yourself to your faithful creator. And we see Jesus in a sense recommitting himself. And remember, he, he says, my food is to do the will of my father. That's his desire. That's what he wants to do. And then in Matthew 26, in verse 42, we see him in a sense recommitting. Did he lose something? No. He's getting closer to that point of completing the task that he was sent here to do. And you can say in a sense that the pressure now is building. 
you can say in a sense that he is really understanding the gravity of this thing and how heavy it is and the real value of it and the pressure is there like never before. So in Matthew 26, 42, he says, he went away a second time and prayed. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took a couple of disciples with him, but they kept taking cat naps. They kept dozing off. They were in their sleep. And he finds himself alone, struggling with this. And it says, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, boy, if it's not possible, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Struggling with it. Can it be taken away? Knowing there's nobody else who can do what he's been called or sent to do. To go to Calvary for us. To taste death for us. To take the beaten. To find himself at this point just at the brink of salvation, struggling over that which he's going to have to suffer in order to secure our salvation. So the prayer is, Father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away, have you ever been in a task or in a work and, boy, you find it just a little bit too heavy, a little bit too much, and you just want to quit it? Well, in one sense, and I know some people would argue with me, that's what Jesus is somewhat going through. The fleshly side, the body. And uh, we're going to share a verse with you because that may have helped those thoughts come about for him to think in such a way. And his thing is, can this thing be removed? But he has to recommit himself. And he simply says, and we see the recommitment. May your will be done. May your will be done. Why the recommitment of doing God's will? is because of the weight of this thing. So turn over with me to John 18 and and go to verse 4. John 18 and verse 4. Um, it says in there, Really grab hold to this, the insightfulness of this verse. And this takes place after the arrest. It's in, again, in the garden. But I want you to understand what Jesus knows. And then the struggle that takes place. So he says in John eighteen four. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. Sometime in life when you're doing something, it's better not to know than to know. Uh, I tell some people, if I would have known what I was going to have to go through in the surgery that I just had about eight months ago, nine months ago now, and learning how to walk again in the falls and the crying and the pain and all that I went through, 
I don't know if I would have had the surgery. (laughs) But Jesus says, knowing all that was going to happen to him, knowing everything that was going to come upon him, went out and asked him, who is it you want? It's in the garden when the soldiers have come to arrest him. Who is it that you want? Yet knowing what he was going to have to go through, that we might receive this thing called salvation, fully paid by the suffering that he went through. Now, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to have to suffer. So this is not something new to them. Uh, they're the ones that have to grapple with it from this point because in some of their eyes, yes, this is the Son of God. Yes, this is a great prophet. Yes, but they could not maybe grasp the understanding of the sacrifice that Jesus himself was going to make on our behalf. Knowing that it was going to take the shedding of blood, Jesus knew that for forgiveness to come forth there had to be a life given and as John the Baptist says the Lamb of God behold the Lamb of God that he was going to be that sacrificial lamb and he was going to shed his blood that we might have life so in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21 it says From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Sometimes we read it so quick, we run right past the word suffer. But he knew he was going to suffer on our behalf. He knew he was going to suffer in his body that we might have salvation the suffering was there and we could say okay well why didn't the father just make it in a way okay he came but let's remove all the suffering sin causes us to suffer sin causes suffering and he tastes death for the wages of sin is what death And he tastes death for each and every one of us. And he says, and suffered many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Why don't we just die without the suffering? a quick death, and then be raised. I believe because sin does cause us to suffer. And that suffering was part that God wanted us to see. He demonstrated his love for us in this suffering. He demonstrated his love for us and what he said on the cross forgive them he demonstrates his love for us in the midst of his suffering and as we suffer trying to do the will of God all we have to do sometime is reflect upon Jesus Christ and ask this question am I suffering at the same degree that my Savior suffered. Am I going through the pain? And I even thought about this laying in the hospital with me. Is my pain as bad as his pain? And the answer had to be no. The severity of the pain was there, but nothing like what my Savior may have suffered for me. And you may have been through some terrible pains here in life. But nothing like what Jesus suffered. 
And Jesus tells his disciples there in 16 that he's going to have to suffer. Go over to Matthew 20, verses 17 and 19. Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. Again now he's sharing with his disciples. And I believe the reason he continues to share with them, because they themselves are hearing it, but not quite understanding it, and don't know how to really receive it. They don't want anything to happen to him. And yet he's saying he's going to die. He's going to be put to death. He's going to suffer. And yet this second time he tells them. And he says they will condemn him to death. And will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged. There's the suffering. And crucified, there's the suffering. On the third day, he will be raised to life. You're talking about something, a resurrection, that never have happened in history. And you're expecting me to understand it and believe it. And I don't know if God was really expecting them to understand it and believe it, but he is teaching it to them for that when it does happen, it doesn't catch them totally off guard because now he has taught them about it. Though they had not yet seen it, they do have some knowledge about it. And he's going through this alone. But he's sharing this with his disciples. But what is going to happen to him? He travels that road alone. Over to Matthew 26, 2. 26, 2. And he shares it again. He simply says, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. The Son of Man will be handed over to crucify, to be crucified. And again, he allowed his disciples to know. Now back to verse 39 in Matthew 26. Because listen to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as your will. Do we use God to accomplish our will, or do we allow God to use us to accomplish his will. And if we say yes, we allow God to use us to accomplish his will. Are you willing to walk that road alone? Or does it have to be a crowd with you? Are you willing to stay to the task to finish that work that God has given you? Are you faithful in doing so? And that's where we struggle, don't we? And because Jesus was being tested in all manner as we are also tested, we see him struggling in the flesh, in this body that was going to suffer all these things that he knew about. And the question is, 
if it's possible, in verse 42, can it be taken away if it's possible? But if it's not possible, then I will drink this cup, the recommitment of himself to his creator, to his God, to his Father, for the purpose of finishing the work that he has assigned. All the disciples came to a point that they deserted him. He tells them, yes, that he's going to be put to death. He's going to have to suffer. And many of us also, when we are told up front by friends what might take place, we find a way sometime of putting a distance between ourselves. And in that verse 56 of Matthew 26, it says, But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophet might be fulfilled. So there's a reason behind it. And we can go to Isaiah 53 and we can see that these are the things that God were placing upon Jesus Christ and the affliction that was going to come and the suffering that was going to come was all appointed by God. And again, that troubles us that God the Father would allow such things to take place. But in Isaiah 53, you're able to see it and it's made very clear that it is God who in one sense is doing the afflicting or allow it, allowing it to take place to pay for our sins. But look what he says here. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. All his friends, all those who have been there during the time which he would commit his miracles and, and doing his preaching and and those who had followed him from town to town, now they've left him. They've deserted him. He's alone. And he has to face, in a sense, his enemies now alone. He goes first before Caiaphas, and he's alone. Not one disciple is there to stand with him. Not one disciple is there to give any words of encouragement. Not one is there that, in a sense, he could really just look into their face and find hope. So it says in 57, those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Yes, if you read the next verse, it says Peter followed, but where was Peter following from? A far distance. Uh, and even Peter there in the courtyard denies him three times, but He's at a distance. He's not there with him. He's not close to him. And Jesus is having to face Caiaphas all alone. And that can be a difficult task when you're facing your enemy all alone. But remember also, he knows his father would not forsake him. And he would not be alone. How many of you claim that verse? That God has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. How do you sing that song sometime? Never alone, never alone. And Jesus knew the Father was there. But not another human being 
was there in his corner at this time. He's facing this task all by himself. So when you get over to Matthew 27, verses 11 and 12 first, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. Now he's before Pilate, all by himself, all alone. And remember, there's times that all of us have to carry out the will of God alone. And those can be some hard moments. They can be some trying moments. But I want to share this little secret for you, for you and I. It's also our growing moments. It's our growing moments. It's growing closer to our Heavenly Father. And we see Him do a work in us and through us that will be a blessing to others. And he says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is, as you said, Jesus replied. When he was accursed by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. When they mock him, when they curse him, when they bring these charges before him. He gives no answer. Then, when he was accursed by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Where was his disciples? Where were his friends? Where were those who he healed? Where were those that he fed? He's there all alone. And today, somehow, we can leave Jesus out on the limb all by himself. Where are we today when it comes to standing with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Really, where are we? Are we like Peter? Are we afar off? Are we like the other disciples hiding behind a door? Where are we? We're asking. That's a tough question. Am I standing side by side with him? Am I standing up for him? Am I allowing people to know that he's my Lord, he's my Savior? Am I allowing people to know he's the one I believe in? And we understand what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It really is the power of God unto the Jews and the Gentiles. But we have to be willing to stand up. And sometimes we have to stand up for him all by ourselves. Some of you live in families that you might be the only Christian. No one else in your family when you gather as a family unit or at family picnics or family groupings that will really stand up with you for Jesus Christ. Yet you have to choose if you are truly born again to stand up for him. Because he stood up for you all by himself. He stood up for you. And it can be a lonely road. Sometime being in the room when nobody else is there like you who believe in Jesus Christ. And you're the one that really have to say no, no, no. And really stand your ground for the Lord. And then after Pilate, he has to go before the soldiers. No one is there with him. He's there by himself. They mock him. They make fun of him. 
they take the thorns and they make a crown and they press it upon his head. They put a robe around him, making light of him, hitting him, spitting on him. And yet, not one disciple was there. Not one people who ate of the food that he gave them when he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000. Not even the blind man that he healed was there. Not even the cripple. No one. Just think about that for a moment, would you? Grasp hold of that for a moment and, and own it. That Jesus was alone securing our salvation. Jesus was suffering alone by purchasing our salvation. And it says, they stripped him in Matthew 27, 28. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Again and again. And no one's there. No one's there to intercede for him. No one else is there to take a blow for him. No one is there shouting out, stop, stop. He's innocent. No one's there. He's alone. Other than the Father being there to give him the strength to go through this. Remember what we read earlier? That he knew that the Father would never leave him. And that he himself knew he was going to have to go through this for us. That he would be spit on and he would be hit again and again and again. What a moment, what a time. I, I can't even fathom that. I, I can't let my mind, uh, somehow, I don't understand that. All those who loved him, who saw him, would allow such things to happen to him. And the only way we can explain it is that it was God's will. And God appointed him to go through this for us. And it was God's way of demonstrating his love for us. And allowing us to see that truly the wages of sin is death. By Christ himself having to taste death for each and every one of us. Even when he is taken off to Calvary to be crucified, not one is there to help him bear the cross. He has to bear it alone. So in verse 32 of Matthew 27, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrenia named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They crossed him. 
they caused him or made him to bear this cross that Jesus could no longer have the physical strength to bear or carry. They pulled this man out of the crowd and placed the cross on him. Now understand this. This is a complete stranger. This is a stranger. This is not one of the disciples. This is not someone whom, as far as we know, that may have eaten the bread or that Jesus provided to the 4,000 or 5,000. This is not one of the ones that was healed by Jesus. Just a complete stranger. And the question still can be asked. Where are his disciples? Where are those who called him the Son of God? Where are they? We can ask that question today. As people do a mockery of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can ask, where is the Christian today? Are we really truly willing to stand up with Jesus? That's a question that we all have to answer. Are we willing to stand up? And even at the crucifixion itself, he is there. But no friends, really. John is down there with his mother. Might have been some other disciples or other people down, but Jesus hangs on the cross alone between two robbers, two thieves. Again, in a sense, two strangers. Nobody that he knows. And the question is, where are they? Where are the disciples? Where are the friends? Where are the ones who say that we love you, Lord? Where are they? And he is put on the cross between the two thieves. And where are the disciples? Boy. Never alone. And then comes that moment at Calvary. When we hear this cry from Jesus, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment when he took on the sins of the world, when he took on my sin, your sin, your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, when he took that upon himself, all we can think of is that God turned from him. And it says that the world became dark. And in verse 46, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Alone. Alone. He bore our sins alone. He, he paid the price alone. He purchased our salvation alone. He did not remove himself from carrying out 
the will of his father, even though he knew what he was going to have to suffer through in order to accomplish his father's will. Boy, I hope that you will see that your salvation did not come cheap. I hope you will see that Jesus truly did suffer, but he did it alone, that you and I would not have to suffer, nor his disciples would have to suffer. Oh, yes, we know that many of his disciples went through a martyr's death, but not through the suffering that Jesus went through. And some of them even said that they were not worthy to die in the manner in which their Lord had died. Jesus suffered alone on Calvary that you and I might have a right to the tree of life and be saved. Salvation is in Jesus and him alone. They say that many people go to church on Easter and Christmas. I pray that if this is one of those days in which you choose to pick to go, because you only go on Easter and Christmas, that you will discover something different and exciting in the person of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because you understand that he purchased your salvation, and he suffered on your behalf, that you will find it as your reasonable service, not to miss another Sunday, not to miss another day in his presence in his church, learning of him. For the scripture tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is much to learn, much to learn. And I pray that somehow that you will see that Jesus suffered for you. That it is your reasonable service to suffer for him. And he's not asking you to be beaten. And some people are beaten in this world for his name. Some people die in this world for his name. But many of us have to be willing to do the will of our Lord and Savior. Are you willing? Are you willing? I pray that you are. If you don't know the Lord, he died that you might be saved. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. Wash me anew and afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me to walk uprightly with you. Very simple. You can say it in your own words. And he'll do it. He'll do it. Because he died for you. He arose for you. He sits at the right hand of Father, making intercession for you. Really consider that some things you have to do alone. And your confession and accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody else can do that for you. That's something you have to do alone. You have to open your mouth. You have to open your heart to the Lord. No one else can do it for you. Or people will be around you maybe. But you're the only one who can do it. Would you do it? Because you understand that Jesus Christ suffered and died alone, that you might have a right 
to the salvation that he has purchased on your behalf. Well, God bless you. God keep you. I hope you enjoy this Easter Sunday and may it really be a blessing to you. And may it be a changer in your life. And may your life change because you understand the suffering and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God bless you. God keep you. See you next week. God bless. Bye-bye.